Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Hey, welcome to Drew and Sam Talk Training. This is episode 21, and we're calling this one Don't Be a Jack Wagon. Our theme for this podcast is going to be selecting great team players and, of course, trying to be one. Drew, how the heck are you, man? Dude, I am awesome. Thanks for asking, Sam. How are you? Oh, I am so excited. You know, as this one drops, we are just days away from Thanksgiving. We ordered a fresh turkey from Wing Farms here in Dexter. So I will be the cook on Turkey Day and uh, the kids will be here and Cindy's going to be here and we're going to have a uh, pretty traditional Thanksgiving feast. How about you, man? Kids all going to be back from school for the big holiday? Yeah, uh, everybody home. I do not do the fresh turkey. We do the uh, 48 cents a pound from Meyer turkey. So my 20 pound turkey costs like seven bucks. But yeah, we're traditional all the way. Yeah, nice. I like I for a minute there. I thought you're going to tell me for some reason you strike me as a deep fried turkey guy. No, no. That's how you burn houses down or the smoker. I would do the smoker, except it's Michigan and it's so freaking cold already. I don't want to spend 12 hours outside with a turkey. So no, no. But you don't actually have to be in the smoker with the turkey, do you? I mean, it'd be warmer than being outside watching the smoker smoke the turkey. That's true. All right. Hey, listen, on today's episode, we're going to talk about, like we always do, where Drew and I have been. We're going to talk some training today. We're going to do a book review. It's going to be our second review of a Patrick Lencioni book. Uh, The first one was so good, we couldn't help ourselves, and we went into a second one. We'll get into my favorite segment, which is Taken. We've got an interview today with the one and only Glenn Mueller from RPM Pizza. Looking forward to that discussion. We'll talk about getting on the road again, and then we will disembark this boat or land this plane, whatever Drew's in the mood for when we get to the end of our time together. And you never know what the hell Drew's going to say. So we'll just see how it how it goes. I've been watching those SpaceX capsules land, so it might be something about that. But let's let's keep going. Nice. I like it. Fantastic. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Thanks, Johnny Cash, for that fabulous intro. So, hey, Sam, where have you been lately? Well, you know, speaking of cold, I was in Minnesota. I got up there with the Graves organization again, and Dave Randall was kind enough to bring me up for the third time to do the T3, which is the train the trainer. And quite honestly, that is that is simply my favorite curriculum to teach to folks because you see such a transition from the first day uh, to the third day when they get to present again it's basically presentation skills on steroids people come in in the first day they don't want to do their presentation they leave on the third day and they're really excited and they can't wait to get up in front of a group again and that's exactly what happened in this one so that was fantastic and then we spent a couple of extra days with them and we did some load and go training which is sweeping the country right now that whole load and go thing so that should be pretty cool 
How about you, Drew? Where you been? Well, I don't know if you know this, Sam, but turnover happens at every level of an organization. So I went back to Roanoke with uh, Kenny Cobb's organization and was helping onboard two of his new supervisors. It was very cool to see how his other team that, because they were a few weeks in, so he had most of his team who'd been through the BTY visit system, teach these supervisors the core concepts. And I came in just like finishing school. I get to round off the edges and give a little polish. And uh, it was it was a blast for two days. Unlike you though, I'm not doing a ton of travel. Most of my stuff right now is all virtual. So I've had interviews with uh, Steve Fell's organization as we get into finding out a way to help him build a culture in his stores. And when this episode drops, I'm actually going to be in Finley, Ohio, launching Learning Hub with Brian Edler's team. Well, that's fantastic. I spent a little time with Steve Fell's group for a while. Uh, tell all those guys down there that uh, I said hi. Uh, with some friends down there, Dustin Barr and uh, a really good group of guys down there in that uh, they call it the North Coast region, which I think is a, a term they actually coined. Uh, I'm not sure many people outside of central Ohio would call that the North Coast region, but they do. So uh, let them have fun with it. That's all that matters if they call it that. Hey, let's hear from uh, uh, Tom Petty, shall we? So I think you've been saying this and I've been seeing it with some of my clients and hopefully more people around the country are seeing this. We're starting to see a bunch of applicant flow or at least some applicant flow, maybe some applicant drip where before there was no applicant flow at all. And I think what's great about that, you know, we've talked probably in most of the episodes about the importance of getting the right people on the bus and the importance of actually doing selection and some folks out there probably been struggling with that message because their selection process has simply been, they applied, I want them. And I think now that we're starting to get more applications in and we're starting to see that application flow that I think it's a great time for us to talk about selection and getting great team players so that we can start to build teams that are going to perform at the highest level. Sam, I couldn't agree more. This The book we read this week, The Ideal Team Player, that we're going to discuss later has me just over the moon. I mean, it actually has interview questions in it. And I don't know about you, but for my last four or five clients, I'll ask the, the GMs in the store what their process is, and they can kind of tell me the same thing, right? They go online, they see the person's applied, they text or they call. Most don't show up for the interview. The ones that do the interview is basically, can you fog a mirror? I haven't actually been given an interview guide from a GM probably in months now, Sam. And, and it's, to me, it's, it's amazing because we all want people. We need people and we're hiring whoever. And then we get mad when they're not the people we want because we're not putting a filter on. We're just kind of desperate for people. So we bring them all on and hope the meat grinder kicks out the best ones, which just seems like a horrible waste to me. You know, I like kind of how you led into that. And you talked about the book that we just read. And typically we don't do a deep dive into the book because we want folks to 
actually get the book and read it. And I'm not saying that I don't want you to do that. I'll let you know in my final recommendation when we do the book review. But what do you think about this, Drew? What do you think we skip to an ad right now? We cut off the Let's Talk training and let's merge Let's Talk training into the book review because the book review just had so much good stuff on this topic. I think we can uh, kind of merge these two segments and make it great. You like it? I'm a huge fan. Let's do that. Let's drop an ad and get into the book. This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly next year? That is a great idea. We'll do one in February, one in May, one in August, and one in November. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that, but I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event because we know stuff changes out in the wild and we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022 or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. All right. Thanks to our sponsors. Remember, we're doing four virtual training events next year, one each quarter, and you've got the opportunity to buy a season pass. And the thing that we heard most about the first couple of virtual trainings that we did was I didn't have enough time to plan for it. Well, we've taken that roadblock and we've completely disintegrated it for you. So buy the annual pass, save yourself 50 bucks and get it for your whole team. You know, buy one pass for every member of your team and we'll make sure we get enough communication out there on the front end so people have got time to get in and get those two hours of virtual training where people can interact with their peers, interact with Drew, interact with myself and get that done. So uh, press pause right now. Go to trainwithbty.com and buy that annual pass. What are you waiting for, man? Let's do it today. Uh, Sam, they had already listened to the ad. Let's get into the book. I'm sorry. I'm just so fired up about the virtual trainings and doing the <laughs> annual pass. All right, let's jump into the book. So again, this is our second book by Patrick Lencioni. This guy, uh, for you and I, who are obviously not voracious readers, this guy can write a fable that makes me just not want to put the book down. I'm looking for more time to get into the next chapter and the chapters are two, three pages long. So they're very good for me and my, my inability to stay focused on one thing for too long. Cause I'm thinking about so many things. So again, love the way that he puts the book together. This uh, episode's book is the ideal team player came out in 2016 and one of the cool things about this book, I think, is that he actually took some of the players from the book we did in the last episode, and one in particular, Jeff, and he, he introduced him into this fable, which was really cool. So Jeff was the founder and the startup of the, uh, of, of the tech firm in the previous book. Decision point. Yep. Yeah. He's doing this thing with these guys. So I like that part of it just because he went from this tech thing, which 
I'm certain people wrote to him and were like, I'm not in tech. How do I apply this? And he was like, okay, fine. Here you go. Construction. (laughs) Yeah. And I like the fact that he wrote Jeff in such a way that he was able to pivot from, from one highly technical profession to one more hands-on blue collar profession. And, uh, you know, I think that's really important that he did that with the book. To your point about the reading it, I sat down and read the entire fable in an hour and 40 minutes. And again, I'm not a quick reader. So it was one of those jump right in and read it. It's easy to follow. It's so easy to follow. When I got to the end, I had to get into his manual that he does at the end because I'm like, wait, is that really it? And it's kind of funny because through the book, like what, three or four times, he's like, yes. This is really it. It's so obvious and simple. Could it be more difficult? No, it's really just this. And that, that to me was the best part of this is it also is completely relevant today, Sam. Yeah, it's, it's totally relevant. And the point that you make about, I mean, what they said it six or seven times in their conversations when Jeff, Claire and Bobby were together, the leadership team of the construction company, and they kept coming back to, is it really this simple? And it really is. You know, I was in, in Kentucky a few weeks ago and we were doing some stuff uh, talking about the speed of service and how to lead inside of the store. And I kept at the end of every module, I said, how does this relate to retention? How does this relate to retention? And what they found out was the answers were always the same. If people are going to like their jobs better uh, and they're going to do a good job, then they're going to want to stay. And when we got to about the fourth or fifth time, and it, it was like Jeff, Claire, and Bobby were in the room, and my participants were saying, "Is it really this simple?" And I said, "Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's not, it's not some crazy long formula." And you know, for these guys, they kept back coming back to the same thing that was really this simple, and it was, "We don't want team members that are going to be jack wagons." And <laughs> They say that in the book four or five times and, you know, they use different words, but uh, I think, you know, where we're going with that, but yeah, it's just like, like Jack wagon better than, than the phrasing in the book. Just, just because that's who we are. Um, Because we are good, clean cut, good, clean living boys. The, the entire thing though, like, okay. So, so listeners, again, we don't normally give you the whole book. I am just totally going to give you whatever of this book, because the, the crux of it is they're trying to hire a fourth member for their leadership team and they need to make sure they're not a jack wagon. And at one point of it, one of them says, we're going to fail if we don't hire. So we should just hire whoever. Right. And, and I, I completely wanted to like highlight that Sam, I almost took a picture and posted it online because I guarantee half our listeners right now have done exactly that in the last week, month, six weeks, no one's applying. I have to hire whoever applies, but, but they're a giant slug. They can't move fast. They can't show up on time and they're not going to wear the uniform correctly. No, but it's, it's fine. It's fine. I need them. They've called out three days in a row, but they're a valued member of my team. They don't show up ever. I I can't get rid of, Oh my gosh. Like, like it was all in the book and it's exactly what we hear and see in the stores. Well, in the book, Patrick did a good job too of, of almost giving us a little bit of a bait and switch on that because, you know, this guy, Ted Marchbanks comes available and he had worked for a bigger construction firm and he had run huge products and on paper, 
This guy looked like a perfect match. He looked like, oh my God, we needed somebody. This guy fell in our lap. Let's hire him. And Jeff said, no, no. Let's take him through the entire process and make sure. And what was really funny to me in the fable was Jeff, Claire, and Bobby all talked to Ted and they all liked everything he said. And this guy seemed to be pretty darn polished. But then they were talking to their assistant that had led Ted around the building for the day. And Ted couldn't even remember what that person's name was. And he had spent the entire day with them. So they started doing some more digging and they started asking Ted some some pretty straightforward questions. And, you know, in, in the fable, Ted ended up eliminating himself as a candidate because he realized he wasn't going to be a fit because at the end of the day, even though his pedigree was so good, he was a jack wagon. And Jeff had a feeling from the beginning that he was a jack wagon, but he couldn't put his finger on it. And through some better interviewing process and some, some more things going on and seeing some more and talking to more people, they found out that this guy wasn't going to be a good fit. And listen, they were under pressure. When you read the fable, you're going to realize that they've got two of the biggest jobs in the history of the company coming up and they need people and they need leaders. And if they don't get them, these jobs aren't going to get done. But by the same token, if they get the wrong ones, they're going to lose all kinds of people and the job's not going to get done. So, you know, super huge kudos to Jeff for staying true to making sure that anybody that they were going to hire had the three essential virtues that he thought they needed on their team. And Drew, do you remember what those three essential virtues were? You've got to be hungry, humble, and smart. And when he says smart, he's not talking about, do you know what the square root of 3,600,422 is? He's talking about... uh, (laughs) He's talking about being people smart. He's talking about being able to read a room and understanding how to communicate with your team. He had a real high priority on that. And, you know, they go on to say that, you know, if you've got two out of three, that's a good start. But we want all three. And in fact, you know, he's got another person on his team, Nancy, who was pretty good with humility and was super good with hunger. But she was completely socially awkward and she had no people smarts at all. She didn't know how to get her message across. And she came off as arrogant and as flip and as short-sighted and her team just didn't really understand her. So, you know, Jeff was pretty insistent on having all three of those. So the way he lays it out is it's a Venn diagram, you know, a couple overlapping circles. And you've got to be good at all three. You don't have to be great at all three, but you've got to be good at all three. Yeah. And in the back, when he gets into the manual part and he's talking about how he describes folks. I I loved it when he was like, okay, somebody who's smart, uh, what was it? Smart and, and humble, but not hungry. So, so, you know, they defer and they, they get the people interaction, but they just don't want to do better. He nicknamed them the lovable slacker. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I found them. I know who those are. I, I can identify with that person. Uh, there was the one where he was talking about those that only have one of the qualities 
And, and the one for me was hungry because it was the bulldozer that the person doesn't care what they do to you. They're going to go get what they want and it's going to happen. And I'm like, I've worked for that. Um, <laughs> it's like, like you can start to lay out where these, the folks around you are. So the, the best thing about this model is it's, it's selection, right? It's, it's their interview questions in the book that you can use to pick the right team. There's also interview questions to look at your current team to say, do I have the people I need for the bus? I can take this book and act on it as a unit manager, as a multi-unit supervisor, as a franchisee today. Whereas five dysfunctions takes a little bit of a different approach. And I know that Patrick was very clear that they build on each other, but man, I can take this and act on it today. Yeah, I think the five dysfunctions is really for the leader and the ideal team player is for the leader to identify the ideal team player. Wow, what a great name. Patrick Lincioni, you're onto something there. The other thing, you, you know, you said that, you know, he wanted all three. He had to have all three. What I really liked, especially with the Nancy character, was that he told her which two she had and which one she didn't have and then gave her the opportunity to ask for help, which she does. She says, listen, I'm not good at that. I want to be, and I'm going to need help. And I think if you've got people on your team that don't have all three skill sets, and spoiler alert, you do. But if you've got folks on your team that don't have all three, talk to them about the things they're doing really, really well, and tell them where they've got some opportunities for improvement, and then simply ask them. Would you like help with that? Because I'd love to keep you on the team. I need you to be working towards having all three of these and I'm willing to help. I will help you out, but you've got to ask and you've got to be willing to get the coaching. If you're not willing to make the change in any one of those three virtues where you need to make a change, then our time together is going to be limited. It's not, you're a bad person. It's not, Hey, I think you suck. It's not, you know, go jump off a cliff. It's you're not going to fit on this team unless you want to change and become solid in all three of these skill sets. And you don't have to be solid today. You just have to have a willingness to get better. And, you know, it's just crazy to me how all these books build off of one another and they're all saying the same thing. You know, we, we talked about the bacon book and he said, you know, I'm patient with results but I'm not patient with effort behavior behavior. I'm impatient with behavior. Yeah. 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 And that's the same thing that's Jeff. Jeff is saying to Nancy, Hey, listen, I don't have a problem that you don't have people smarts. And I'm really excited that you want to work on it. And as long as you continue to work on it and take coaching, there's going to be a place for you on this team. People are not going to change the way they behave overnight. Don't expect that. Don't, go to bed one night and think you're going to wake up the next day with all three of these virtues, because now you know what they are and you want to do them. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And like John glass always says, it ain't easy, but it's worth it. Well, and, and spin it around the other way too, right? They talk about people who left them who were ideal team players because the person they worked for was a jack wagon. Right. Or there was a jack wagon on that team that they didn't fire. And that jack wagon caused 
good team players to leave. Hello, that's going on in your store, in your stores today. I I know we're going to get to where this book falls. I can't ship this book to you fast enough. Go online, get the Kindle version, like, like pause this right now, get the Kindle version, take an hour to read this and start implementing these three virtues. Because if you do that, you know, you're already in. And go through our website to get it right. I mean, so we get a couple of pennies. Shameless plug. The shameless plug. Yeah. It is that easy. And, and it's awesome in the book that he goes into, oh my gosh, I just went two days and I didn't do any of this. Oh my gosh, we've gone a month and we're behind. Because life happens and you start to get anxious and you start to feel that pressure of the result. And, and as much as you feel the pressure of the result, we've all been there where we've had a bad hire and, and that bad hire destroys so much and takes so long to get out. Like, I I can't stress enough as the applicants come in, have a structured approach to pick the right people because you're only going to get one shot or six months from now, all the people around you are going to be like, I've got great people. And you're going to be like, why is it still only me? Yeah. And yes, I just did the I've got great people dance. Nice. And much like the, yeah, I wish, uh, you know, listeners, I wish you could see Drew because the passion is oozing out of his body language as we talk about this. I mean, he is dancing and he's doing silly little pirouettes and uh, it's nuts. So, you know, much like Five Dysfunction, Patrick has done a great job of writing a fable, not a fairy tale. And uh, he actually puts into the fable what Drew just talked about. And that is, if you don't have the virtues, you're going to drive the people away that do have the virtues. So in the fable, he's got a couple of foremen that have left because their immediate supervisor did not have all three of the virtues. And once he got Nancy on board, they called these foremen back and said, hey, listen, we're working on these things. And he actually made Nancy do it, I think, in the fable, if I remember correctly. And she was like, hey, listen, I understand that I did not have the people smarts and I didn't approach you the way I needed to. I want to let you know what was happening from my perspective. But more importantly, I want to let you know that you are a valuable team player and we'd love to have you back. If you are suffering right now from not having enough team members, a terrific way to recruit is to go through people that have left and do exit interviews and ask them why they left and ask them what they would need from you to come back. Now, some of them are going to say things that you can't do. Only if they're the ideal team player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me pause there. Only if they're the ideal team player. Okay, continue. Yeah, and they're going to, you know, some of them are going to ask for things that you can't do, and probably they don't have the three virtues anyway. But the ones that you were really sad when they left, you know, find out why they left and see where, where you've got opportunities to strengthen your three virtues of hunger, humility, and people smarts. And then maybe you can start keeping people. You know, Drew said it so well when we talked about it in another episode. The first step to retention is keeping the people you got. So, you know, that lands on you. And we, we've got to make sure we're doing that. What else do you like in the book, man? For the listeners that, that have an interview process and actually talk to people, there are fabulous questions to dig into these three virtues in the back and they work. And I know they work because I have used 
variations of these over the last decade as I've hired, holy cow, Sam, hundreds of people. <laughs> sure. So folks, like, like ask the question, you know, the answer you're looking for, be clear, be transparent, be honest. This isn't a matter of, I expect all my team members to show up on time. And then you're 20 minutes late for the interview. This is be, be the virtues and then hire to the virtues. And you will be amazed how much work your people get done. Yeah. You know, I love that you jump to the back of the book and you're talking about the question. There's also the assessments. You can do a self-assessment, you can do assessments on yep. your team. I mean, there's the fable, which we loved, made the book easy to read. And then there are things in the back of that book that help you take the fable to the next step, which is implementing it in your daily leadership style and helping you become a better leader. So just a really well put together book. And when you start checking out Lanchoni's books and you see that there's so many of them. Oh my gosh. We could literally do a book, a podcast and, and next year at this time, we'd still be doing Lanchoni books. Yeah. You know, when, when you first brought it up and you said, you know, Lanchoni is one of my favorite guys and I want to do five dysfunctions, ideal team player and death by meeting. I, I I think I was three quarters of the way through five dysfunctions when I put the book down for a second, went to Amazon and ordered seven more Lynchoni books. And, you know, like we said way back in episode one, and I think this has changed for me, thankfully. I didn't like to read. I hated it. It was boring. And my mind was on other things that I was doing. And as our listeners have recommended good books for us. And as we've got on to different books, you know, we it's starting to be a real good release for me. It's a chance for me to sit down with a good book and clear my mind of what's gone on during the day. But the most important thing, and this is why I'm going to really suggest to our listeners that if they haven't been a reader in the past, that they start is that it's really helping me with my self-development. I mean, I'm really looking into the pages of the book and at the same time looking into the mirror and seeing how can I become a better developer of people? How can I become a better consultant? How can I better get on to my mission? Which, you know, I think I forgot to tell you this, Drew, but I think I came up with my mission in my last class. One of the uh, participants put up an answer to how this uh, affects uh, retention, and their their catchphrase was "less stress, more success." And I think that is going to be the mantra for Fowler Consulting moving forward. We want to provide you with less stress to give you more success. So I think I finally got a mantra, and I think my mantra is nearly as good as your company's name, because I think if I can give them less stress to give them more success, they truly will be. Better than yesterday. Better than yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so, had, to, I had to jump on that. Sorry. So yeah, uh, Patrick Lynchoni, <laughs> if you're listening, which we hope you are, number one, we'd love to get you on the podcast and interview you. But more importantly, these books are just fantastic. So I'd like to jump into our final review, unless there's anything else you'd like to add and feel free to. The only thing I would add, and, and Sam, you and I have been 
talk, we've talked about this, about how we teach classes and we, we reference sports a lot because we're trying, we're trying to find a way to talk about being a team. And the easiest way for us to do that is always reference sports. This book relieves you of that. Yeah. Because by talking about humble, hungry, and, and smart, suddenly it, it doesn't have to be about whatever the 96 Knicks or the 2004 Lakers or the 94 Rangers or whatever, right? It doesn't have to be some sports metaphor. It, it becomes these three things. And, and it is understandable by anybody, whether it's funny, cause real quick, went to see my daughter's show. She did one of her last shows as a, in college is little shop of horrors. Nice. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, who doesn't love can't be horror sci-fi as a giant alien plant eats people. I it's uh it's a good way to go. Right. But if you think about it, that show is from a, from a non-sport person is a great way to think about a team because the spotlight's got to be in the right spot. The puppeteer's got to match up with what the person's saying. The sound person's got to hit the right music at the right time. Like there are all these things that have to work together. And if anybody isn't humble, hungry, or people smart, it all falls apart. And, and you get that click and you start having people that don't show up to the cast meeting or to call on time and it falls apart. It doesn't matter if you're a sports person or you've never done sports. This book tells you what an ideal team player is and helps you build that on your, in your store, in the group you oversee, in your peers. Yeah. And I think the importance of that, and I love that you brought that up. You know, the last workshop I was in, I'm as guilty as anyone of putting too many sports metaphors out there because to me, they just click. And, you know, I always ask questions to get everybody involved. And my first question was, raise your hand if you're a sports fan. I had 21 people in the room. Three hands went up. So, so you know, Patrick, I appreciate the fact that you're giving us some opportunities here to use metaphors that work great to find ideal team players that don't involve sports. Because what I'm finding more and more with the target demographic that is running our pizza stores, they are less and less interested in sports than, than my demographic, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's up to me to find a way to communicate with them. So, you know, this book, like you said, Drew, is just puts another way in there for us to communicate. So let's jump into it. All right. Is this one going to be in the donation bin, on the shelf, on the desk, or in the backpack. What do you got, Drew? Oh, I've already told the listeners, just pause and buy this now. <laughs> As did I. <laughs> I don't know where to put this in the category, Sam. Not to make this longer than it really should be. As we read all these books, I start to like pile them in. If I'm talking to, oh my gosh, one of my, one of my daughter's college friends met me for lunch and he wanted to know more about business and he wants to go into a business major. I'm like, okay, you have to start with the energy bus. Like read the energy bus. At this moment, book two would be read, once you finish Energy Bus, read Ideal Team Player. And then once you're done with that, now go read Clone Yourself. Like I could, I could start to lay out three to five books that if you want, if you want to see a way to, to spend, I don't know, Sam, what, 10 total hours to read 
before you've got to invest the time to do what the books say. I, I don't know where to rank this one. Go buy this. Why are you still listening to us? Go buy this book. I don't know where that goes. On the desk? Fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the in the backpack for us, you know, we want to give these books away to everybody, but that's just not fiscally responsible. So I think I'm going to. Right here now, officially in episode 21, I am going to eliminate the in the backpack category and change it to the on the prize table category on the prize table. Because when I do workshops, sometimes we do prizes and I like to put the books out there that we have done on the podcast, especially the ones that we're both over the moon about, which this one is certainly one of those. So for me, this one is going to be in the prize bin for me moving forward. If you're in a workshop with me and we're doing prizes, you will see the ideal team player likely on that, especially if we're doing a workshop that has curriculum that this book supports so, so well. So that's where it is for me. It's uh, I, I'm pulling a Drew Helmholtz here and going off script breaking the rules, adding new new categories. And this one for me is going to be on the prize table. But like Drew said, pause the podcast right now and go to one of our websites, follow the link and buy the book. You're not going to be unhappy that you did. No, it's, it's just amazing. And with that, we've talked about this for so long, probably our longest book review because it was also our talk training buy the book, use the questions. And well, I guess, Sam, we should just let Liam Neeson get us to the next section. I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I've acquired over a very long career. Sam, what have you taken from the stores? So funny you should ask, because my taken relates to our stores, but I didn't really take it from our stores. So... For those of you that know me well, if I'm on the road, my breakfast of choice is an egg McMuffin and a large non-fat mocha from the Golden Arches. And what I've started to realize as I go through drive throughs all around the country, and sometimes the experiences are really, really good, and sometimes they're not so good, but I've noticed a direct correlation between the quality of the interaction and the quality of the food. And what I mean by that is if you get an egg McMuffin in Ann Arbor, or you get an egg McMuffin in Los Angeles, California, it's going to have a muffin. It's going to have an egg. It's going to have a piece of cheese and it's going to have a piece of Canadian bacon. And they're all going to taste the same. But to me, where the product quality really matters is when I first start to unwrap that yellow wrapper and what I see. So if I unwrap that that wrapper and I see the cheese half off of the egg McMuffin, I know half of my bites are going to have cheese and half of them aren't. Somebody has not gone to the extra second to make sure that their placement was correct when they put together the egg McMuffin. 
And so how do I translate to that uh, to Domino's Pizza? Some of you are already way ahead of me. And that is we've got to do exactly what Jeremy Hill told us to do a few episodes back. And we've got to humanize this experience. And we've got to understand that we're making meals. We're not just clearing the make line screen. So when we talk about rim size, portion, placement, and bake, when you're doing that placement, understand that that's the first thing people are going to see when they open up that pizza box. And when I unwrap my egg McMuffin and I see cheese half off of the McMuffin or the Canadian bacon going off the other half of the McMuffin, I've gone through the drive through I don't have the time, the energy, and for certain I shouldn't be doing this while I'm driving. I don't want to disassemble my Egg McMuffin and reassemble it so every bite tastes the way it's supposed to taste. And it's just amazing to me, Drew, that if I've had a good interaction at the drive through speaker and a good interaction at the window, when I unwrap that sandwich, it's almost always perfect if there was a good vibe going in the store. And I think that we would see that if we were honest and open and we really looked in the mirror, if we are great leaders and we're creating that energy that, that we talk about in the energy bus and that basically every book has talked about, I think the product coming out of the oven is going to be such that every bite truly is a meal and that every single one of the pizzas looks the way it's supposed to. Because remember, when you're in the middle of a 100 or a 200 pie hour, even though you're looking at a different pizza every 30 seconds, that may be the only pizza that that customer sees this week, this month, maybe this year. And every pizza should be special. And Drew, that's what I've taken from our friends at the Golden Arches. I was able to take an egg McMuffin and full circle it all the way back to rim size portion placement bake for our Domino's Pizza folks. How about you, my friend? What have you taken? You know, Sam, I don't do egg McMuffins, but my my go to for the similar story is the Nacho Bell Grande from Taco Bell. Nice. I don't work there, but you know, if I get a bag of chips and a scoop of each topping or six chips and a pound of each topping. I don't know which one's right, but I know one of them's wrong. <laughs> I like that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Taco Bell can be a little over all over the board when it comes to consistency. And I've gotten both. And if you're eating while you're driving. Oh, I was going to say, if only I knew who was leading their training to tell him, please straighten that out. Oh wait, I do. Okay. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Look at you making a run for the border and, and almost yeah, Thomas, come on. Ooh, Let's straighten that out. Nice. All right. <laughs> nice. All right. So All right, hey, my taken, my taken is actually not something I took. I'm just going to add it as advice. Our last guest, Sheldon Port, went onto one of the fabulous boards and was like, hey, stop whining and use this as best practice. Boy, did that get some mileage in the comments. Oh, my God. And he's perfectly right. So here's, here's my suggestion. If you have access, ask your peers. If you don't have access, get into the get, get, find a group. Find a group that can help you. This podcast might do it for you. The, the GMs around you or the supervisors around you or the franchisees around you might do it for you. If not, go on to one of those groups and type in the search bar what you're looking for. And if it's not there, 
ask, be a leader like Sheldon and, and make it about best practice sharing because he called everybody out and then he did a massive share around service, which if you listen to the last episode, sounded very familiar, be a leader, look for ways to better yourself, whether it's reading one of these books, listening to this podcast, find time to do that. Because if you don't, you'll never get better. And then you're on that hamster wheel and six months go by and you start to regret that time has flown by. So find a way to better yourself, uh, even if it is on one of those best practice groups. I like that a lot. And, you know, the older I get and the more trips around the sun that I've taken, I, I think I want to, I don't want to speak for Sheldon, but I'm going to speak from my perspective. You know, that post that you referenced, Sheldon was saying, stop whining. And I think the part that he didn't write in the post, and again, I don't want to speak for you, Sheldon, but I think that I know you well enough to know that what you really wanted to say was stop whining in public. I don't think there's anything wrong with you having a very small circle where you can download your baggage because goodness knows we're all carrying some baggage and there's some stuff happen. And I am a big believer in the five minute vent. I want to get it all out of there, get it out of my system, but then I want to get back to business. And I think that even though the general manager best practice page on Facebook is closed, I think that is far too public a place to do a five-minute vent. And again, let me make this perfectly clear. I am okay with a five-minute vent. I am okay yep. with you being in your tight, trusted circle and saying, you're not going to believe what happened today. Such and such did this and such and such did that. And you get it out. And then your circle says, yeah, man, that sucks. I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. And then they slowly bring you back to, okay, what can we do about it? What are we going to do to find a solution? And I think that's what Sheldon was getting after. I think the manager's best practice page is a place to share best practices. And it shouldn't be a public venting place. There are hundreds of people on that page and several of them. I've never even met. I'm not going to publicly vent because I don't know that they know me or that they know what I really mean or that they know that I just need to get this off my shoulders for five minutes and then I'm ready to move on. And I think that's where Sheldon was going with that. Again, I don't want to speak for him and I'm sure he will uh, get me on the phone right away if I have misspoken. Um, but, you know, I think that's a great take and, and um, I'm going to let that that dead horse there just take his last beating and then we will we'll move on one last thing yeah okay one last thing okay vent i'm a huge fan of the vent as well and yep to your point close circle close circle you can vent up you can go to your boss and you should be able to sit down with your boss and go wow this thing sucked and this is how i need to fix it or this is what i need from you to fix it please don't ever vent down because that's how you kill morale because your team hears you complaining and they will do what you do. So, so vent up, vent up because your boss can remove roadblocks, never vent down. You know, I think I'm going to change the name of this episode to one more thing, because now that you've said that, I'm going to suggest that the listeners go to Google and they are YouTube and they look for a clip from Saving Private Ryan and it's called Gripes Go Up. 
and yep. uh, they're they're walking through the field and uh Tom Hanks who plays the commander just does an absolute amazing job of teaching his troops how to gripe up. So I'm going to suggest you look for that. I might actually put that link when we uh look for that link somewhere on Facebook and uh, I'll send you there. I will warn you that the language gets a little salty. It is a movie about the war and they're trying to make it realistic. And there's a chance that the language goes into uh, PG 13, maybe in, even into our territory. So if you're as opposed to our Jack wagon, as opposed to the PG 14 ish version it, of Jack wagon. Exactly. So if you're sensitive to that kind of language, I wouldn't Google it. If you're not sensitive to it, then it's a, it's a pretty great clip. All right. That's taken. We're done. No more. We're done. We're moving on. How about an ad from our sponsors? This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly next year? That is a great idea. We'll do one in February, one in May, one in August, and one in November. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that. But I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event because we know stuff changes out in the wild and we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022 or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. What a great ad. Again, stop the podcast now if you haven't done it already. Why? But get that annual pass for next year's virtual training events. Drew, where can they get that? Trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. The annual pass is under shop. Let's talk about our guest because we have the fabulous pleasure to talk to Glenn Mueller. And I'm not going to mention the franchise he's, franchise he's with because he's Glenn Mueller franchisee. And I don't know if you've noticed, Sam, but we have never mentioned the franchisee name with our other franchisee guests. So I'm just going to call him Glenn Mueller. I like it. And, you know, I was thinking about this as we were recording it between you, me, and Glenn. That conversation has over 100 years of Domino's Pizza experience. Shut up. I will. Shut up. I will not. In today's episode, our fabulous guest is Glenn Mueller, franchisee. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's awesome. Glad to be here. Yeah, we are so glad to have you. Glenn, I got to be honest. We've, we've interviewed um, a couple famous Domino's people, like, like some Dave guy and some Patrick guy and some Don guy. We're really excited to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I'm very honored to be even in considered in anywhere near that group, but uh, happy to be here. So with that, for a few of our listeners, like the one or two that don't know who you are, would you mind telling us 
your story. Who are you? How'd you get to where you're at? Well, I'm Glenn Mueller and I've been with Domino's Pizza now over 40 years, but the road to get here is probably like so many others that, you know, just going on a different path. But uh, my brother Richard uh, and I are pretty close. You know, I, I was, uh, we were uh, two of six children and grown up in Lakewood, Ohio, but uh, he's older and, you know, he's doing the high school thing and I'm just in middle school or, or grade school. And as he went on to college with the University of Michigan and decided to use majoring in engineering or something, and I didn't really know, but anyhow, he decided to drop out of school and to join this guy named Tom Monahan, which I didn't pay any attention to, but, and do some pizza thing and, and he, you know, pizza delivery. And, and um, so what made me really excited about that is he pulled me out of school one day that I got a car for you. Now, if you're 16 years old at that time, I was 16, and you get a car, you're pretty, you know, you're great now. So, and now what he did, forgot to tell me is that it didn't run. It was an old pizza delivery car. It was a 1969 Javelin. It, you know, was beat up. It was red, white, and blue. Uh, and there were parts missing on it. And there was so much Pepsi stains in the back. Anyhow, I got the thing running with a friend and, uh, and I had that thing for four years. That was my first car. And, and I'll never forget him giving that to me. And I, I had it throughout, uh, you know, college and stuff. Now he dropped out of school because he, he saw Tom's vision before maybe anybody else did. And he was one of the first franchisees. He's, he's, uh, you know, I think he joined Tom or started as a driver when they had 20 stores. Wow. That was it. And, uh, but I'm doing my school thing. I, I, I got my graduate, uh, undergraduate degree, went on to the University of Michigan. And I did get my degree. I was an MBA, got all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and while I was doing that, I started watching my brother. He went franchise one store and then 61 stores. Then he sold those stores in Ohio, went back to, um, and now he's, he sold those to, to Tom Monahan. And now he's the vice president of operations. He's the number two person. Now this is with a chain that's only got 150 stores ish. But he's, he's grown, he has grown really fast. And so now he's gonna help the system grow even faster. So he and Tom, he actually owned 10% of Domino's Pizza at that time. Don't, don't do the math. Anyhow, so he, so, so he, he was, he was so exciting, went around the country. Uh, he drove all around uh, and actually went down to Blooks in Mississippi with Keith Air Force Base, saw a store down there. And I didn't know any of this because I was doing my school thing. I, I then after college, I decided to get, go out to Los Angeles and uh, was married and, and, and uh, no kids or anything, but um doing the accounting thing, I, I guess, my MBA, CPA, all that alphabet soup um, type thing. And, you know, had my career going out there for a couple of years and I get this phone call. And it's my brother. He says, hey, how would you like to, you know, come in partnership with me in a, in a franchise with Domino's Pizza? And I go, hmm. And so we talked about, talked about it. He resigned as vice president of operations, sold the stock for a million dollars. And uh, we signed an agreement. He signed an agreement. That Domino's Pizza had 300 stores in the country. He signed a deal to build 120 in 10 years. And that's the kind of my brother's always big. He's big. Anything he does is going to be big, which is a big number back then. It's even a big deal today. So in 1981, at the age of 26, I moved from California to Mississippi, Mississippi because he said, you know, I said, where are we going to franchise? He said, well, Mississippi, Louisiana, the two best states in the country. I said, all right, cool. Never been there, but went there, saw the opportunity, and uh, we, he had bought three stores, um, 
here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And, and that's where I started. And so we were in partnership together. But now we had to figure out, okay, he had this check for a million dollars. And now we have to figure out how to build 120. So that wasn't going to build 120 stores. But I, so I was sort of in charge of all the administrative accounting financial stuff. And he was the marketing and operations guru because he had been working at Donald's Pizza for 15 years. And back in that day, which is, you know, many people may not realize, but back in the 80s, uh, with Domino's Pizza starting out with 300 stores, is they, their foundation was at military bases and campus stores. You would never think of going into a big town because there's no national advertising. Advertising is only 2%. Royalties was 5.5% unless you signed a big growth agreement that was half of that because you had to do everything. You had to do your own training. You had to do your own marketing. You had to do product development, uh, all, you know, just develop equipment and stuff like that. So it, that's how I got involved. And, uh, and, and it was, it's been a blast ever since. It's been four decades. Every decade has its pluses and minuses. And it's been a roller coaster ride, you know. So that's how I got started. Wow. What an amazing story. So it's 1981. You're moving to a state that you've never been to. And obviously, we were we were both much younger in 1981 than we are now. That had to be, I would think, exciting and frightening all at the same time. Uh, it, it was, um, but I had a lot of confidence in, in Richard. I didn't really know Tom Monahan. I did. I didn't meet him once. My brother had me meet him when I could, when I was going to school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I had to meet this some guy, Tom Monahan, that he was working with, and and the guy. Uh, he said, I went over to his house and said, hey, and so somehow we got in this conversation. He, hey, let's play ping pong. I'm an athlete, played college sports and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I said, oh, I'll whip this guy and this old guy, oh, my goodness, in ping pong. And so we're downstairs and I couldn't believe that's the most intense guy. We just playing ping pong. This isn't the Olympics, you know, he's diving on the floor and everything. I go, wow. So anyhow, uh, that's how I met Tom Monahan. But in 1981, Richard and I saw the opportunity to uh, build the stores. And so we went to all the different campuses, opened up stores there, went to all the military bases. But as we were doing it, we, you know, we'd have to go eat somewhere. So we'd go eat at, you know, Burger King. And we had, Burger King was awesome back then, you know, have it your way. It was really growing fast. And, and our experience was so terrible. And we look on the wall and it said Chart House. Now, who the heck's Chart? What's Chart? I thought it was Burger King. Well, that was the name of the franchise. And of course, we are RPM Pizza stood for Richard P. Mueller, but this thing was called Chardos. Well, Chardos was the largest franchise in Domino's, or in, sorry, in Burger King. And we noticed that wherever we went in Mississippi, Louisiana, if you had a really good experience, it wasn't Chardos. And if we had a bad experience, after a while, if we went to the thing and we saw Chardos, we, we, we didn't even bother going in. Terrible product, terrible service. The people, and so we said, we set a goal and we said, we never want to be so big that we're embarrassed with the stores we own and operate. We also want to be the best. Now we were outnumbered by over uh, 250 pizza huts and we had three at the time. And we are outnumbered. I, I think, you know, Pizza Inn, Godfather's had more places than us. So we were really starting from the ground up. But it, what Richard taught me is to really, that whatever we do, we've got to be the best at. In every store, in that little market, in that neighborhood, we had to be number one. We were going to be, we were going to deliver more pizzas and sell more pizzas and at that time pizza really focused on just sit down. Little Caesars, if they did, were in town. They didn't come for a long time. We just all carry out. We were going to be the best at delivery. 
And whatever we did, we wanted to be busier than all of them. So we we study our competition a lot more than we do today because they're way ahead of us. And they had number one market share. We had like, we weren't even in, we weren't even in top 20. There was so many other. Ch- yeah. I remember those days. Oh, oh, too well. Those in, in the eighties. So you talked about going into the Burger King and seeing the chart house and knowing that you never wanted to be so big that, or, or never wanted to be bigger than where you could keep good track of your operations and the experiences that your customers are getting. So fast forward 40 years and Glenn is walking into a Domino's pizza store. What kinds of things are you looking at when you walk into your stores to make sure that you don't turn into the chart house of Burger King? Well, the, we have a thing called RSPPB, you know, rim uh, size portion placement bait. And you sort of, what I do is I like to, certainly you go as you're walking in, you look at the image of the store, you look at that when you walk in, you want to look for smiles. You want to look for the crew to see how they're doing, but you want to also just sort of observe the product. And so go to, certainly should wash your hands and that type of thing, but just open the boxes and you go in the reverse floor of the product. So you go in there, look at the cut table. You can observe what's in the oven going uh, to the make line, just checking the product, checking that there's thermometers, just a, a quick check, you know, as, as a stock, right. Are they making the pizzas properly? And then going back to the dough, which is so critical. But originally when I started out, I do the opposite because, but then it's, it's really helpful to go upstream, if you will, and they go um, to where the product is. And the entire time you're talking to people, but it's just, a, it's, it takes literally less than a couple minutes just to do that. And then eventually going back to the walk-in cooler and checking the product, because that's sort of a quick snapshot of as far as the product, how they're uh, proofing and all of, the, all of our systems and processes. And but again, then you come back and talk a little more detail with the crew. Um, and I really that hasn't really changed, you know, a lot um, over the years is to and is to really focus on how we do in a product service and image and then talking to the team and seeing where they're at and how the schedules are and how happy they are, basically. Yeah, I think that how happy they are thing right now is so important. I mean, you know, as we face staffing issues, not only in our industry or our brand, but I, I think anybody that's running anything that needs people is facing staffing issues. So I think talking to those folks is so important. How do you make sure that your above store folks are keeping that top of mind and making sure that they're doing that and you know, doing what Drew and I like to call stay interviews while you're in the store? Uh, yeah, a lot of great points. You know, I just want to reflect back on 40 years because the first decade, you know, it was in wild, wild west where we went, the system went from, you know, 300 stores to uh, over 5,000 in that decade. And you could, it was just a, a fast time of growth standardization. We tried to do that at that point. And in the nineties, it was really rough. That was a rough, rough time for the system and for us. And so we sort of had to retract and, and uh, we had actually built 300 stores and, uh, and, and, about, five, uh, about seven states and uh, and three countries. And so, we, but we had to take a step back. I think the whole system did in the 1992-ish area, but the 90s was a little bit. And Tom Monet came back into the system, left for a while, came back in. And then, of course, when they went public, right at the third decade for us, third decade, which would be in, around 1999-2000. And that was a time of change also, where the systems and computerization uh, and that type of thing, and it that was some another rough year, a little bit of a roller coaster thing, and and then then um, you know in this last decade, you know, right at uh, around 2010, with a turnaround, 
And, and it's been a great, that decade's been awesome. But this fifth decade, to me, is sort of the era of Domino's Pizza. Today's, this decade from today forward, is this is, with all the craziness going on in the world, this is the era for Domino's Pizza. This is what we were built for. And to um, our product, our service, and our image for both carryout and for delivery, this is what we've, we, we've really been designed for. It's a great opportunity. It's one reason at my age, you know, which if I joined a company at 26 and I've been in it 40 years, you can do the math. But 29. anyhow, uh, I want to stay in it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Hey, that's it. <laughs> I like your calculator. But anyhow, so what, what, the reason why I'm stay, still staying it, I love helping people. I love seeing it, but this is the best time to me, like all this 40 years of hard work and, you know, all the stuff that we've had to go through, of course, the last year with a pandemic and all the different hurricanes we've done through our, our history. It's like, no, this is the time to really blossom now. But it's also the decade for us of like retention, of really keeping our people and really focusing on our team. It's great that we have store counts and we've got sales and all these goals and service times and everything. But what about our people? How are we helping them hit their goals? How are we checking in with the managers, especially the managers? They're the key. If you've got a great manager, <laughs> life's easy. If not, or if they don't have the support assistant manager team. So we're looking at that, that group there very closely to make sure that the, not, the manager can only work 40, 45, 50 hours a week or open 100. So you need a good assistant manager team. So we want to make sure we have a good bench strength that the assistant manager has a good team surrounded. So if they have to take time off or if there's a problem or something like that, they've got good support behind them. The key is the culture in the store and in our company. I think we've got a great, the company has a great, uh, Domino's has a great culture. RPMB has a great culture, but now we got to get into each store and help that manager be a, the best leader they can be. And so to me, that's the challenge for this decade. It's going to be the year of people or the year of retention. And yes, it's that golden era for Domino's, but the key to get there is the people and at the individual store. Just like we say, we want to be number one. Domino's Pizza wants to be one, uh, number one in, in the world in pizza, but they also in every neighborhood. Well, in every store, our man, it has to be fun to come to work. And in our best stores, it's it's a blast. It's the one time people can come in and sort of feel a little control over things. Whereas when they go home, turn on the news or have to try to go get something to eat somewhere else at the grocery stores or, you know, missing this, that, and the other. This is this is a, actually a great opportunity for us. And this is why I think it's it is the golden era. We just have to deliver. We have to really nurture our managers and make sure that we're helping them hit their goals. You had mentioned the culture of RPM and the culture of Domino's. And I actually wanted to ask kind of in that, I feel like first to open and last to close is your DNA. So why is, why is that attitude of, of being the first to open and the last to close so important to you? And August 29, 2005, we had a six stores closed in a hurricane Katrina, the worst natural disaster. And I remember <clears throat> we didn't know how many stores we had closed. I mean, you'd think of oh, computers is a little different back then than today. It, it might've been easier to figure out today, but it took us, over three weeks to figure out we had 16 stores that were completely wiped out. Like they're like gone. Like, and, and so I was sitting there going, I said, I got to call Domino's pizza and tell them I'm, I'm going to go out of business. I mean, this is the first, you know, I, and the first 
hours after the storm and I was right in it in Long Beach, Mississippi. I said, we're done. You know, I'm not, I've got a big bank loan. I'm done. And then I started to think about it. I said, wait a minute, everybody's closed. Walmart's closed. Everybody's closed. It, you know, and, and we said, no, we, we've got to get back. We got to get back on our feet. And we, and so we had people coming. We, we, uh, first thing we did is I had everybody list. I, I came up here to the office. So just, because there's no communication, there's no phones, no anything. So you had to just write down in old school, how are you? What's your name? You know, is you, are you okay? Is your family okay? Is your house okay? And if not, we guaranteed everybody food, clothing, and shelter. And then what we did is we, so we took care of our team. Then we figured out ways to get stores open and without any power, without any water, and sometimes without any people, how are you going to open a store? Well, we rented generators. We got water, portable water. And then we had people from around the country. This is what's so great about this brand. It's, it's, you know, anyhow, so we had people coming from around the country and we had our own team coming back and they, we got stores open. The first thing we did is we give away pizza and we just take care of the community. So we, then after we did that, then we started selling pizzas. Well, guess what happens if you're the only place open the only place so we opened weeks before McDonald's, months before our competitors. And what happened is, and because we gave away pizzas, we actually had three pizza traders. One came from Bill Graves, uh, and one from Alan Murph, and one of our own. And the, those, they never sold a pizza. For weeks, they just would give away all the pizzas. It was so powerful because we, we did the right thing. We took care of our team. And if their store was gone or something, I like, would guarantee them a job in the adjacent store. We actually had one in this last hurricane where in Lake Charles, they hit two hurricanes last year and back to back. And the, you know, our, one of our team members couldn't get to an adjacent store. So we paid them and just to volunteer there, just volunteer your time. We'll pay you, but you go helping. And, and, you know, so if you take care of your team, take care of the community, then the customers will be taken care of. It's so important for Domino's for us in RPM Pizza, because we deal, we've dealt with over 25 hurricanes, a pandemic, several ice storms, this, that, and the other. And occasionally, you know, tornadoes. And I think every area has some kind of disaster. And if we can just remember to always do the right thing, what is the right thing? Let's get back open as fast as we safely can. And then help all of our team members, help the community, and then help our customers. It works. That's just a fantastic story. And, you know, as you're talking about Hurricane Katrina, as I look over your left shoulder, I see the picture that was on the front page of the Pepperoni Press. And I believe the caption was bent, but not broken. And it was the sign that you can see just over your shoulder there. And it was at a 30 degree angle, but the light was still on. It was it was I'm getting chills just remembering that picture on the front of the Pepperoni Press. That was amazing. So many people maybe new to Domino's and one of the advantages I have of being around for as many years and even following my brother prior to me joining Domino's is how special Domino's Pizza is, the franchisees, the corporation, and, and the common bond that we have. It's really something special. And if somebody's hurting, I mean, they're, yes, you can see the storm. The storm is very visible. Uh, it obviously happened. And that I remember the Coast Guard came by our store and they said, you know, we use your sign at night because there's no other signs around. And it was lit. It was lit. And we use that as, I mean, they got all their instruments, but we use that because we saw, we left it on at night. And of course we weren't open, but we left it on and it was on a generator. And yes, even though it was bent, 
we able we were able to figure out how to get it going and how to get that store open. It is it's it's an amazing story. But you know, one of the things that uh, that Drew and I are pretty passionate about as we travel around the country and do workshops is we're trying to make general managers' jobs easier. And for me, I'd like to see them have more fun because, you know, much like you, I started in the early 80s. And between you and I and Drew, we've got over 100 years experience on this podcast today. So that's pretty amazing. Um, it just hurts. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I do that on. math quickly. Oh, but I, but I'm not that 50% of it. That's good. All right. No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that making people's jobs easier is so important today and making them feel like they're a part of something bigger. And when you say for the new guys that are out there that haven't seen all the things that we've seen, you know, we had Stan Gage on a couple of episodes ago and he brought up a great point that this, this staffing thing that we're going through is quite possibly for some younger guys, the first time they've seen any real problem in a Domino's pizza store. You know, they weren't around in the 90s when things were were not good. And um, it's just it's nice to get a perspective from someone that's been around for a minute, it, even at the tender age of 29. That concerns me a lot. I've, I've talked about this because I, I've got those four decades and they're, they're clearly implanted in my head. So we, and we went through some tough times, even bankruptcy of talking to bankruptcy. We never had to do it. But with 16 million dollars of debt, when the bank calls your loan in 1992 and then gives you an interest rate of 22 percent and then your insurance company decides to you know cancel your insurance i mean yeah we had to meet with bankruptcy attorney never had to do it and we we later became debt free four years later the thing that's about domino's pizza is this grit factor and i think everybody needs to have it sort of in life and what what i've learned through the thing is that if you have any trouble or any problem somebody in Domino's Pizza not only has a solution, they'll be willing to help you out. And that was evident in Katrina or even this last uh, hurricane, Ida, that we had 112 stores closed, by the way. They weren't as seriously damaged, although we have two that are still closed today. But we had franchisees come from Hawaii. Mike Rappel had his, some of his team members come. Um, and over in, um, uh, let's see, over in Portland, we had um, farmers, uh, farmers uh, come to us. Yeah, sorry. And I could go on. There's so many people that came to help us out. And and it, it was it's uplifting. And so my challenge to the those that are struggling or having problems is just don't quit and don't give up. But just to reach out, reach out to the supervisor or I encourage and we're doing this with all of our directive operations and supervisors. Who are you networking with outside your company? Like network with other franchisees in your or or with Team USA, you know. Um, and what we're finding is that they have another place to go to to say, I'm having a little trouble with this. I'm having trouble with staffing. I'm having trouble with attention. Or how do I do this? It is a concern to me that in the last 10 years, people have never experienced sales being down. Oh, my goodness. That's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is, obviously, you know, there's a lot of rewards for sales being up. The bad thing is that you never had to see some rough times. I can, oh, the things we would do to get sales up years ago. You know, it's so. Again, I think in life, from my perspective, everybody's going to run through some tough times. But if I were to run through some tough times, I'd want to be in the Domino's Pizza system 
because I'd want a career with Domino's Pizza somewhere in the Domino's Pizza thing because it's a very nurturing environment. It's a very helpful environment. There's 800 franchisees out there and, and, and so many great people at the corporation. And so I encourage people to get a little down or whatever is not to give up, but it just to reach out. You had mentioned, you'd mentioned networking, Glenn. So I, I want to ask, I, I'm, I'm assuming you do it because, well, I've done it. So I'm hoping that you do it. When you're talking with people who aren't part of Domino's, what's the Domino's story you tell them? Is there one, is there that one story? Maybe it's something funny that, that you tell people that you're like, okay, this, this is what this is all about. Well, for, for me, I do tell the Katrina story because it's, it's mind boggling what we've overcame. And I think the community still remembers 16 years later, uh, some of the things that we did and, and, the th- and, and, uh, we had a manager, Craig Williams, who's now a franchisee to come up to me and he was right in this parking lot and in his car and he's in there and, you know, the door opened. Now this is within 12 hours of the storm, storm end of Katrina. He said, Hey, I lost my home. I said, I'm really sorry. Everybody. Okay. Yes. Everybody. He's got his dog in there, kids and everything all packed. He said, this is all I got. And, and I said, well, well you got a job. He said, no, the, the Space St. Louis store is gone. I said, you can work here. And he goes, and I stand in his shorts, a t-shirt and flip-flops. And he goes, I, I, I don't have a uniform. And I said, it looks like you're in uniform to me. I don't see any OER people, you know? So, and then he said, but I don't have any shoes. I gave him my shoes. I, you know, and, and then he said, I don't have a place to stay. So he stayed at my house and then he stayed at my brother's for three months. And the thing is, and, and today he's a franchisee. He went on and we rebuilt the store and all this kind of stuff. And he did great. And we helped him franchise. But I think the, the, the thing that I think is so powerful about Donald's Pizza, going back to this, when I talk to other people and other brands, and I've, I've seen people in Burger King, Jersey Mike's, I've known people in different concepts. The thing that is so unique about Domino's is things like the Partners Foundation. Okay, it's just team members helping team members. By the way, if any, print, if any company wanted to set one of those up, they can't. The IRS has grandfathered this because it, anyhow, it's a great thing because we're, it, it's, it's super. This last uh, hurricane, over 400 people were helped that lost their homes and stuff like that, the last hurricane, so that, the Partners Foundation. It's people helping people, franchisees helping, and it's fun. I can go anywhere in the world, pretty much, or anywhere in the United States and have an open door. And any people want, and if anybody on this call or something needs some help or something, give me a call. We'll help. And that's the kind of thing that you can't put on a piece of paper. You can't, like, if you look at financial statements and you say, oh, that, that franchise, you know, if you look at different franchise concepts and you go, oh, yeah, this the Starbucks, Jersey Bikes, all these different things. But it's a hidden magic within Domino's. It's a, it's a camaraderie in the franchise group and a partnership with a corporation. It's, it's awesome. You know, as I think back on my nearly four decades in and around the brand, that not only are they willing to help each other, but they're also a highly competitive group, but not highly competitive in a way that I want to beat you. It's that I want to help you and then I just want to out-execute you. So I'm not going to keep any secrets from you. I'm going to share with you anything you want to know about me and how we're getting results. Exactly. But then I'm going to go back to my stores and I'm going to out execute you. It's it's not that I'm rooting against you. I'm just rooting for me and the competitiveness that there is. And it seems to me that I think back 
on the four decades that I've been around, the most successful folks were also the most transparent. I can remember distinctly in the late 80s hearing Frank Meeks talk, and he would say, we've got our PLs on the wall, and if the competitors come in, I'll bring them to the back and show them because I know they can't do what I can do. And I just thought to myself, wow, that is, that's just fantastic. So I'm, I, I'm with you. This, you know, Drew and I's mutual friend, Curtis Moore came from an, a different brand when he was a trainer in the first gosh year he was with me. And Drew, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but Curtis said to me, why are all these dominoes people so crazy about, about this brand? And we were having that discussion about five years later. And he looked at me and he says, yeah, I get it now. And it's just, I mean, I've never been around another brand, so I don't have anything to compare it to, but I can't imagine it's anything at all like what we've got. It's just so fantastic. Richard, my brother, um, I learned so much from him. I, I was with him for uh, for 22 years and then he retired <laughs> his first time. But anyhow, So I sort of mentored under him from 1981, 22 years under him. And we were a great partnership and everything. One day he, he decided to retire. And then that was in 2003. And then after Katrina, we had 86 stores closed. I said, hey, you got to come back. So I pulled him out of retirement. He opened 70 stores in 71 days. I mean, he's reopening the stores, but all these things had to happen. It, was, it took a while to get back on our feet. And, uh, and he stayed with us and helped nurture some of our other people uh, until uh, 2012, where he retired a second time. But he calls me up every month and tells me how profits are doing and gives me advice. Uh, but where I'm going with Richard is the thing that he taught me. This is a magic that I was so fortunate because he, he's such an innovator and he's so, he, he can go into a group and find out where the gold nuggets are. What, what, what do I mean by gold nuggets? Is that everybody in Domino's Pizza has something to offer that, that every, every manager, every supervisor, every, every franchisee, everybody in the corporation. And he has a magic of going into a room and pulling out and he'd take these notes and he'd come back with these ideas and everybody goes, man, Harpy and Pizza, you're so innovative. You come up with all these great ideas. We said, right, <laughs> we steal them from other people, whatever, you know, I mean, we would take them and then, you know, not every idea works, but it, it's just a way to stay really fresh. Uh, it's very, it's, it's uplifting and it's sort of, it's, it, it's it's sort of uh, it's a lot of fun to go out and work and network with people around the world too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I just want to back up a little bit. You've casually dropped a couple of numbers now that are just catching up with me. I'm not as quickly as, as I used to be. But you just said opened 71 stores in 70 days, and maybe 15 minutes ago you said in the 90s you opened 300 stores. Did I hear those numbers right? Well, actually, uh, RPM, uh, two things. One is the 70 stores that we reopened were the ones that were closed after Katrina. So they'd be either sure, damaged. But in 71 days, yeah. that's a big deal. No, it was it was a big deal, especially when, you know, the, there's no power and there's no no electricity or no water in a particular town. But uh, we were able to and sometimes no crew. And then you have to go up on a limited menu. And there's a process that we have down. We actually uh, share it around the world. But it's our disaster recovery plan. Some refer to it as a hurricane recovery plan, but it really is any disaster, including pandemics and sometimes civil unrest. We, we, there's a, a thing that we try to document and saying, how do we deal with these things? Going back to the 300 stores, we actually in the 80s, 
uh, you'll like this story. But so we're growing, we're building our stores down here, down south, because we're on our track to build our 120 stores. We And we had the opportunity to buy stores in Detroit. So we bought eight stores in Detroit metro area that were doing $2,800 a week. And the average in the system was, you know, nine or 10,000 at the time. Anyhow, and so we went up there and, and uh, signed a deal to build 70 stores or to get this market to 70 stores. And we did that in, in uh, less than five years. It's pretty cool. Um, but we also, uh, a few years later, signed a, a deal to build stores in West Germany. We built seven stores there. We built stores in Windsor, Canada. And we also um, then signed a deal to in the late 80s to build 26 stores in Brooklyn and Bronx. Um, in uh, uh, Union County, New Jersey. So in that little three county area up there. And we did that and we learned a lot. So, but by the, then right at the late eighties, as Thomas Pizza, I mean, we're growing. It's the wild, wild west. There's a gold rush. So if you built a store, you can build a store for 75,000. It was worth a hundred, over a hundred thousand the next, that day. You know, you just, I mean, that, that was the eighties. So of course then we signed, uh, and this is the only time we've been turned down to, build in the new territory. We actually applied and we filled out the application and everything to uh, be the first, you know, to have the franchise for the moon, which back then, you know, would have been a huge accomplishment. Today, it might be a little simpler, but anyhow, with the space stations and everything going on with SpaceX, but we might need to pull that thing back out. Yeah. I would at least go for a first right of refusal on the moon, you know, just, just go for that. <laughs> there you go. It was it, it was a fun time. It was a fun time, but we were the we became the largest franchise in 1986, and we've been, you know, the largest you know ever since. Even though we went up to the 300, we came back down, sold off our northern territories back in the uh, in the in the tough decade of the early 90s. So I think everybody retracted at that time. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot about where you were, but where you where are you now? So what's RPM? pizza's footprint right now we have 176 176 stores we operate in mississippi louisiana alabama and then we also have stores in indianapolis uh, indiana i'm sorry indy mostly indianapolis and uh michigan and we bought those stores about six years ago and and they were fixer-uppers and uh you know I, I forgot to it's like buying a used car and it looks sort of good but then you get in it and then you find out that, you know, the engine doesn't run and the wheels fall off and the air conditioner doesn't work and all sorts of stuff. But today I'm really proud to say we went from seventh in the market to number two up there. But uh, anyhow, that's our 176 stores. So we have about a hundred in uh, Louisiana, about 30 in Mississippi, nine in Alabama, and then uh, 45 in uh, Indiana and two, uh, I'm sorry, three in Michigan now. Sounds like those uh, Indiana stores might have been similar to a AMC Javelin. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but they're going to be beautiful and it's going to look great and run. And, and it might even have shag carpeting. I, I put that in first, you know, up there. Nice. Where are your three stores in Michigan? Drew and I both live in Michigan. Oh, man, you got to come by and, uh, you know, we'll put you on the schedule. Um, let's see there in Kalamazoo and okay. uh, Portage. And then we're going to build another. We, we're just opening up the other store uh, uh, next uh, next month, next month in Kalamazoo. But those two stores are owned and operated by Rogers Galloway, my brother-in-law. And he, uh, you know, he's been in the business for 25 years. And he went through some of the tough times when 
anyhow, but, but then we bought his stores uh, six years ago, and then we partnered in the operation up in the Midwest. It's exciting what, what's happening in Indiana. Because Indiana, we, when we took it over, right, there's like uh, a total of uh, just under 80 stores or something. And today, there's, there's over like, we, it's over 120. It's pretty cool. And it's growing every, every week or month. For sure. Yeah. Jim, Jim Groneman's done a really good job in that area. He builds just beautiful stores and, uh, this is an awesome job. Love, love seeing him. And, and, and he's a great, uh, neighboring franchisee. Does it yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I think the thing that, that I like best about the brand right now compared to 15, 20 years ago is and maybe this isn't the greatest thing to say but i think the brand did a really good job of exiting franchisees that just weren't a good fit for that whole culture that you were talking about and you know i think they went from a high of over 1100 franchisees to down to you know what you're saying now around 800 it doesn't seem like there's any f franchisees left and if there are there's very few you know that whole pizza turnaround is something that uh that is very fascinating and I'm sure it's in a lot of different business classes and stuff like that. But at the very, you know, outwardly, the focus was on the product service and image and obviously upgrading our product, changing the dough, sauce and cheese, a few minor things there. And then really going back and working on our service and load times, et cetera, and then rebranding or all the stores. And then we build nice stores, but they actually said, hey, we're not going to renew your franchise agreement, or you can't stay in this location. You have to move these stores. And, uh, you know, that's a, we loved it, but at the same time, it's just extra work, but it, it paid off. I mean, it, you know, right? Well, in a way, they did the same thing with their people, you know, and the A, B, and F system. You're either A franchisee, B, or you're on the failing one. And of course, I always have to ask which what I am, you know, just to be sure, you know. So I think it was the right thing to do. And, and the thing, the way I like this uh, is that they were there to help franchisees. For instance, when they announced the new product that they're rolling out a new product, they required everybody to go to class. And so, I, well, I've been in it for 20 to 30, whatever years. And that I was, I was, I want to be the first one signed up. In fact, I think I was the first one to sign up. And I said, this is awesome. And so they want, and so we had every one of our managers, every pizza maker go back and learn. And, and what happened to our product scores, man, they shot up. We did focus groups actually for 10 years prior, and we still did them after for two years. And then we stopped doing them because just to verify, and sure enough, we went from second, third, or fourth place in our product quality to first. And, and just, you know, after we rolled all this stuff out, it was awesome. So Domino's Pizza, I think, just did a great job since 2008 to 2010, setting the foundation for not just the product, service, and image, but the people. And I applaud their efforts. I mean, and, and you know what, quite frankly, you know, I've been around 40 years, but if I don't operate the stores, um, I'm in support of them. You know, if, if they got it, if I'm not doing a job, I need to go, you know, that's not going to happen. I'm just saying, you know, so I applaud them for doing it. You mentioned you were first to sign up and back in uh, 2008 and nine, uh, Sam and I ran around the country teaching high performance franchisee and you were in the inaugural class of that. Kind of. I don't know if you knew it or not, but awesome. Dave Brandon had the entire executive leadership team do the class before your class. However, we wanted them to be franchisees. 
So Stan and I printed up binders. Every franchisee through the entire thing got a binder that was all of your information. And so every executive got a binder for one of the franchisees from the first class. And I remember very vividly that the, uh, the then chief um, uh, technology <laughs> officer had your binder. And he opens it up and he goes, In which way? Oh, I want to oh, crap. Crap. <laughs> I, What did he see? What, you need to explain that to me a little bit. The, the very first page was simply name and store count. And, and just that was enough for him. <laughs> I think it was name, store count. It might have been like AWIS or annual sales, something like that. And it was just enough. He was like, holy crap. <laughs> I can't be this person. No, no, you, you're not. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So Glenn, as you think back over the 40 years and Domino's pizza is obviously a little bit different today than, than when we started back in the eighties, what do you think is different about the brand today? And what do you think is the same? Well, I think what is different today is the type of partnership with the franchisor. Uh, and just because of the size and the complexity and, but the amount of investment that Domino's has put back in, back into the brand, for instance, I believe they have 400 people in technology or something. It's, it's a crazy number, you know, and to that investment into Pulse Power and and all of the uh, enhancements, um, I think there's 46 computer or devices in the store of some technology component. Anyhow, so what's different, what's, what's different in the brand today is I think the level of um, fact-based decision-making, you know, of course, there's more information available today and stuff like that, but they made the investment and I think they're ahead of our competitors. So they're very uh, more forward thinking uh, and, and being able to uh, bring a lot of resources and knowledges back to the franchisees so we can make more fact-based decisions. They're giving us a lot of tools to help us execute, whether it's like all, you know, the GPS, DSS, and all those different things. But um, so I, I would say that's one thing that as the brand's grown, they've done some really great things in reinvesting back into the brand. The thing that I think is the same is this, the, the, the culture, of wanting to be the best of constant improvement of just being the best at serving our customers and having awesome franchisees that are, are engaged in the business. You, you have to work your full time and efforts in the business. And I was I actually worked up at Donald's pizza for a little bit as vice president of pizzazz and in different things I was at. And as the first vice president of franchise uh, operations, back in 1989, um, uh, 90. But anyhow, is we experimented, or they experimented that time as outside franchises, bringing in outside franchisees because they needed to grow and we're trying to, maybe we could, maybe we could open in uh, the stadiums or you know that type of thing or other types of venues or carry out only stores or airports or something like that. So they're looking for ways to grow and that, hey, let's bring in people from the outside. So I, I think they learned really quickly that that didn't work and that the that the manager and the franchisee are the key to this business, the, the store manager. And then you've got to have great franchisees that are engaged in the business. If they start getting involved in other businesses or not really engaged at the store level, 
they're going to wind up being an F franchisee. So I think that's, that's something that I'd say would be the same. And then I think I mentioned the things that I thought, you know, were different. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I can remember Tom saying all the time that the backbone of the entire thing that we're trying to do is a strong general manager. And I, I think that's as, as true today as it's ever been. And I can't see that ever changing. So I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think uh, the, the thing that also stayed the same, just a passion for delivering pizzas, you know, well under 30 minutes, you know, getting it <laughs> under 25 and there's, you know, the, the long-term we got to get under 20 minutes. And I think there's other countries that are doing it and uh, we got to figure that part out, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's the delivery business. Yes, the carryout is all is there, and we've got to also focus on that. Probably more now than ever. Still, we've got to be the best at pizza, pizza delivery, and food delivery. I couldn't agree more. You know, Drew and I were talking before you got on the call, and we were both really excited about this conversation. And I got to tell you that it has exceeded my expectations by far. And I could sit here and talk to you, Glenn, for the next three hours, but we want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to uh, finish up with this last question that uh, we're asking everybody now. And I want you to think back from the time you started kindergarten until just two minutes ago, who is your favorite teacher? I'd have to say my brother, Richard, and he's just been a constant throughout my life. You know, he's your older brother. So you always want to look up to him. You know, he wasn't real athletic. You know, I was the athletic one, you know, he doesn't really that fond of school. And I got six years of college education, you know, and I, I, that I excelled there, you know, he would do things. He wouldn't cut the lawn, but it bothered me that the lawn wasn't cut. So I would cut the lawn, you know? So growing up as a kid somehow, and then he gets me hooked on these little model trains. It's just a fun thing that we did together. He would build the tables and he would just get the tracks going. And I wanted to do the detail work. You know, so I, I like to build a little house. You put the little lights in there and I build these bridges. I did all the landscaping. I mean, he did the track work. I'd fill in the, the details. And as a partnership, it's, it's just we didn't know we weren't going to work together. He was going one way and I was out in California going another way. So then, you know, but I always kept in touch with him. And then one day we're up in Michigan, actually. And that's when we said, hey, what about partnering together? Well, I'm on a their career path going one way. And, you know, and I said, yeah, let's do it. And so then we came uh, in February 6, 1981, and we started RPM Pizza. And I've been learning from him ever since. And he's also had kids ahead of me, you know. And so when you don't have kids, and kids, his, he had four kids, and just over around them a lot. And they're, they're good kids, except they cry, you know, or they, they, they mess up, you know, or they don't, they're not perfect. And it's sitting there going, man, what's so hard about being a parent? Just get those kids, you know. Of course, then when you have your own kids, you go, oh, my gosh. So he's been a constant in my life to, you know, just constantly learn. And he's so when we our partnership together, he's like the kite and I was like the string, you know, <laughs> but but we went a lot of places together. And so now what's really cool is we're going to build uh, maybe the world's largest, but certainly the largest in the U.S. Uh, model train museum here in Gulfport, Mississippi. And so it's, it's things that we're doing together. And of course, you know, he's, he's there, he's got a 44,000 square foot building and, you know, I said, Hey, Richard, you know, let's, we got to fix this thing. There's holes in the roof anyhow. And then of course, of course, once we got that fixed, now he's trying to buy another 30,000 square foot building. So it's like, Oh my gosh. Anyhow, it's, it's been a constant. I've learned a lot from him and he taught me to, you know, 
uh, you know, practice, practice a golden rule. So what the heck's that? You know, I mean, it's, I, of course, you know it, but as a kid and, it, you know, and when I got into business from the first thing he had me do is write an employment agreement. So how do I do that? I've never written it. Okay, well, put all your agreements in writing. Well, that's sort of cool. You know, so he, he as far as being integrity, uh, as far as wanting to be excellent, let's be the best. Why would we ever be second? Like it bothered me. He would sit out in front of Little Caesar Pizza and just count. And it just every time they sold a pizza, he'd get pissed off. He goes, why is somebody going by our store? And so he'd do signage and all this kind of stuff. And then he said, you know what? So we got to always strive for, you know, for excellence. We've got to, you know, we got to figure out how we can help our team grow. Let's help people franchise. We've helped over 145 people franchise. We got three in the system right now that are going to franchise. So one, uh, two of them are going to be the first black franchisees or, or among the group. So that's pretty cool. Um, or through that program, that's a new program. So that's pretty cool. And then as far as growth, a lot of people associate growth with, oh, store growth. Well, yeah, but no, people growth. And so he's always committed to that and helping people constantly learn. And so, and it, but just, so the whole thing about um, in the safety thing, our, our knowledge, when we built the stores in Detroit, Michigan, that's where we really got passionate about safety and making sure all of our team members come home safe. And then the last thing, the thing he's probably the best at is just having fun, you know, and he would just find ways to just get people laugh and just have fun. Yeah, work is work. Career, you got it. You, you know, you get paycheck, got it. But, you know, how can we make it fun? And that's the great thing about pizza business. And you all know this, but our pizza, you go around a school or any place, you know, it, you're like Santa Claus or something. You know, it's just it. Pizza brings people together and it's 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 awesome. It brings families together. And, you know, you know, it'd be great if we could bring a country together, you know. But as far as Donald's Pizza goes, it's the glue that helps pull us all together. It's awesome. So. It, the best teacher, you know, for me has been my brother, Richard. An awesome answer. That's fantastic. That's the best answer we've had to that question, I think. That was just amazing. So thank you so, so much for spending time with us. I know it was really short notice and Penny put it together so we could get together. And we can't thank you enough for spending these these minutes with us on the podcast. It's just been truly amazing. We have to send you guys some of these. These are sort of our little trademark, Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> I love it. I will, I, I will email Penny my address. <laughs> we will get them out to you. I really appreciate it. And we, it's, a, it's sort of a thing of friendship. It actually was started by Richard way back when. It's just a way to, you know, say thanks. Hey, it's from RPM Pizza. And we really appreciate, uh, you know, all that you guys do to help make our manager job easier, to help better training aids, and to help us. So thanks so much. Thank you. This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly next year? That is a great idea. We'll do one in February, one in May, one in August, and one in November. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that, but I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event because we know stuff changes out in the wild and we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, 
go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022 or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. Thanks, Willie. Hey, Sam, where are you off to? I am uh, heading to the Golden Coast again to California. Going to spend four days with Craig Turner's team. We're going to do a little choose your curriculum with his AMs. They're going to have the the choice of picking two out of four different workshops that we're going to do. Also going to take a little bus trip with his AMs so that they can see some other stores, get outside of their four walls and realize that there's more to Domino's Pizza than just their store. So I'm really looking forward to that. How about you, Drew? Is uh, is the road calling your name? Is there a big silver airplane in your future anytime soon? Yeah, I don't drive anywhere. I fly and I'm flying to Knoxville, Tennessee to help onboard Cole Judge with Brian Hamilton's group. He is their new director and he's got a new supervisor as well. So we're going to do a little bit of onboarding. How to admit though, I, like, like the Sam Fowler field trip, do you have to sign a waiver? Is there a permission slip that needs to get signed first? Because because this goes to many fun places for me because I would totally drop a permission slip. Like I am willing to learn on this field trip. Like <laughs> you can have so much fun with that. I am willing to take one thing I see and implement it in my stores when I go back. 37 seconds so ago, the answer to that would have been no. But you know, I'm a big fan of the collaboration we've had over this year. And, uh, you know, I've stolen some stuff from you and I think you've stolen some stuff from me. And um, my friends in California, hey, if trainers, you're listening. Trainers never steal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Everything, everything we do, <laughs> it's the first time anyone has ever seen it. Everything is original. So to my friends in California, get ready. There's a permission slip coming. (laughs) It is absolutely going to happen. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love it if you shared these episodes with your friends. Like them, follow us, and subscribe. Believe it or not, that helps us out. It helps us get bigger name interviews, uh, people outside the Domino Circle. We've done a great job getting people inside the Domino Circle. In fact, I'm not sure we could get much bigger names inside the circle. But we're trying to get you some other folks. we got a couple lined up that Drew and I are both pretty excited about. They haven't necessarily said yes, but they absolutely have not said no. And they have responded. So you're saying there's a chance. I am saying there's a chance. <laughs> this has been episode number 21 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. And I am Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowser Consulting. As always, gang, go out and sell more pizza. And have more fun. That is all, folks. That's all, folks.